Jesus said something very simple. It's recorded in the Gospels, Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 38. And he said, give, and it will be given to you. He's talking about life after belief. He's talking about what life looks like in the kingdom. He's talking about a different way than people normally go about their life, a different way than people normally think. Because that's not how we're wired. We come into this world holding on to everything possible. Everything that we can hold to and hoard and keep. That's what we do. And he says simply, listen, all of your accumulation and all of your your, your striving and all the things that you're trying to do to achieve and achieve, he says, if you really want more, then give. Give it away. Luke 6, verse 27, he says... He understands that the people hearing this, they're going to have a hard time. So he says, you who are willing to listen. You who are willing to listen. And he just goes off on this, on this list of how he expects life after belief to look. And he says, give out love to your enemies. You who are willing to listen, give to those who hurt you. You who are willing to listen, give, give the other cheek. To the one who slapped you. Give the shirt off your back to the guy who took your coat. He says, give to anyone who asks. Give mercy and give forgiveness and give money. And do all this without expecting anything back. Without expecting any pats on the back. Without expecting any billboard. Without expecting any airplane to fly over and and write your name in the sky. And he says this in verse 38. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over over and poured into your lap. See, here's the thing that Jesus wants people to understand about the life that comes after you say, I believe and I want to follow and I'm going to be a disciple. Generosity is to be the rule, not the exception. It's to be the rule. Generosity is to be that that marks your life. It's to be what is the signature moment. It's not going to be that thing that just pops up every once in a while. It's not just something that happens when you've gotten the bonus. It's not just something that goes on when you're feeling good. Generosity, Jesus says, if you follow me, you give. And you say, well, why, Lord? And he says, do you know where I'm going? Do you know what I'm going to do? Do you know how much I'm going to give? Can't you give the shirt off your back? I mean, knowing, knowing where I'm going for you, Jesus says, can't you, can't you turn the cheek? I mean, knowing what I'm going to suffer, can't you take a little indignity every once in a while? I mean, and can't you, can't you give forgiveness to people who, who turn their back on you? And, and can't you give forgiveness to people that use you because... If you follow close to me, you're about to see me get abused and you're about to see me get used. And and I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't even have a home. Can't you give a little money every once in a while? Generosity is to be the rule, not the exception for the one who calls Jesus Lord. Now, I love the story of Miss Hollis Sharp of Southern California. This happened, this happened years ago, almost 40 years ago. It's a little over 40, actually. November 13th, 1974. 
Miss Sharp is out, and every evening she goes and walks her little dog. And being the good, concerned citizen that she is, she always takes a little baggie with her in case her dog makes a deposit anywhere on the neighbor's yard. She's able to take care of the mess. While she's heading back home, a mugger jumps out from behind some bushes, pushes her down, breaks her arm, and takes her bag. She had a good sense of humor. Here's what she told the police officer. I only wish I would have had more to give him. (laughs) Now that's generosity, right? Man, you know, perhaps you're struggling with this piece and aspect of kingdom living. And it's understandable, like I said. From the time that we come along, we hold on to everything. And I've I've used this illustration before, but I want you to think again about that first time that maybe you were at a park. Maybe it was, maybe it was Lake Winnipesoka. Maybe it was, I don't know, a birthday party. Where were you when you first got that, that helium balloon? And your parents gave you that string and you held on to it and they said, now don't let go, but you had popcorn and you had cotton candy and, and, and your hands were slippery and, and before you knew it, you were looking at other things and while you were looking at other things, your parents were watching your balloon as it went up, up, up. And all of a sudden, it occurred to you that you were no longer holding this, this, this joy and, and you're looking around for it feverishly and they point up into the sky and you watch it go away and, and then you just break down and squall, right? I mean, you just have a fit right there in, in the middle of Lake Winnipesoka, right there in the middle of the birthday party, right there at, at the car because you were so sad. But guess what? You learned your lesson. Next time you went to a birthday party, next time you went to Lake Winnie, next time you got that balloon, what did you do? Man, you tied it around your wrist, you tied it around your finger, you put it on your belt loop. I mean, you made sure that thing wasn't going anywhere. And and, and it's a principle that you just carried on into your adulthood, that when you're given something, you better hold on to it, because if you don't hold on tight enough, it'll slip away. And it'll be gone, and you won't be able to enjoy it anymore. And so you've been holding on to your family and you've been holding on to your talents and you've been holding on to your time and you've been holding on to your treasure. You have been. And Jesus says to those who are willing to listen, let go. Just give it away. Be generous with what you have been given. And he said, I'll give you some more. Now, we read passages like that, and we sit in an audience like this, and the first thing, at least that I think that comes to mind is, <laughs> Jesus, you're joking, right? <laughs> I mean, really. Where's the camera? I mean, we're on, we're on pranked or something. I mean, this, this, something is going on. You don't really mean that we're supposed to live this way. Well, here's the crazy thing. When you go out of the Gospels into the book of Acts that shows you the life of those first disciples, you begin to get the picture these people actually thought Jesus wasn't kidding. They actually thought that Jesus was, was anticipating that disciples would live this way. So open up your Bibles. I want you to find the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's there in your New Testament. And go ahead and find chapter 4, go to the end of the chapter, and I want you to see how this picture is painted here and what it looks like. Look at this picture of, of these believers. It says in verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. 
And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. I like the way one translation puts it. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now that sounds crazy, right? There was no government law. There was no tax deduction that you could take. There was no philanthropic endeavor to go and be a part of. Here is just a group of people who are selling homes and they're selling land in order that those who are in their midst, those who are needy, could be cared for. There's no law. There's no government forcing them. There's only, and I hope you caught it, Did you hear what motivated them to such extreme generosity? It says it right there in verse 33, that God's power, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. You see, generosity is my response to God's grace. Because I don't naturally give, I take. I don't naturally release. I, I hold on to. But generosity is my response to grace. And our giving is a reflexive response to what God has already done in our lives. It doesn't come out of, uh, of any type of altruism of, or philanthropy. Or philanthropy. Well, that's a great job of pronouncing that. That was good. You like that? Philanthropy. <laughs> Sounds like a fish. What'd you get? Caught a couple of catfish and some philanthropy. Oh, those are good. I love to eat those. Philanthropy. Let's try that. That's not where the giving comes from. Instead, it comes from what God has done in the transforming work of Christ that he has been changing us. His grace is the action and our giving is the reaction. You see, the idea is that if you've been touched by the giving of God, then others should be touched by your giving. Now, if you haven't been touched by God's giving, then that's fine. Don't give to anybody. Don't serve anyone. If you haven't been touched in any way by the grace of God, then you don't have to be gracious. If you haven't been touched in God, by God in, in any way, then that's fine. You just keep everything that you have to yourself and you just make sure that, that you don't interact with anybody else that's in need. Our giving is a reflexive response to the grace of God in our lives. Now, sometime later, there are going to be these disciples in Jerusalem. There's going to be a famine. There's persecution that's going on. And they're going to fall on hard times to such that they no longer have the homes and the land to give. And so the Apostle Paul then sends out a call across Greece and across what is modern-day Turkey. And he asks for disciples who are living in those areas to send money to Jerusalem to help those people. After all, they had started in the beginning helping one another and it had spread and it had spread and spread. And so now it was time to give back to those who were in Jerusalem. And so what I want you to do, turn over, uh, find in your Bibles the book of Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what I want you to see here is Paul's encouragement to these people to make sure that they follow through in what it is that they had said that they were going to do. Because when they heard that there was an opportunity to give and to be generous, they said, that's fantastic. But now listen to what's happened. It had been a year 
And Paul was still waiting to see the fruits of their giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8. Or excuse me, let's start back in verse 6. So we have urged Titus to encourage your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. You see, you have people there who are going, hey, we do a great job. Our faith is growing. And we have these dynamic speakers that are here that are testifying about the goodness of God. He says, that's wonderful. But how about your giving? How about excelling in that as well? Allow your faith in God to be displayed as you trust Him to take care and provide what you need. Demonstrate what you know about God by freely giving to others. For God so loved the world, it says that He gave, right? Now I want you to notice what Paul says in in verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. He says, listen, I'm not going to force you to be generous. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad that Paul wasn't going to twist their arm? No, he just throws down the God card. He says, I'm not going to command you. I just want to remind you of something. So listen to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's saying Christ's grace defines, motivates, and puts in perspective our generosity. And so here's his advice. Look at verse 10. Here's my advice. He says it would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Isn't that good advice? To finish what you started? I mean, think about this already. How many of you, as you were coming into this year, you said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to as a family, be more generous. We're going to, as a family, be more generous. And we're going to, um, to share more this year. And maybe you made a commitment when it came to what you were going to give to the ministries here at this church. And you started off strong in January. And then February came, and, and then March came, and maybe you need to hear the word of the Lord. Finish what you started. Finish what you committed to. Finish what you said you were going to, to teach as a principle to your children. Paul says last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing so. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't. Oftentimes when we talk about generosity, I've heard people say before, you know what? I wish I had more money to give. Or they say, you know, I, I, wish that, I wish that things would have come through with that bonus or I wish that things would have been different at, at work because if that had happened... Well, then I would be able to to help. I would have been able to bring more food. I would be able to give more to the ministries. But here's the deal. God is not interested in what you would do with what you don't have. Does that make sense? He doesn't care what you would do if you won the lottery. Now, that'd be awesome. Right? We could all run down and we could play the Powerball. and, and, And if it all hits, then Chris is going to be... Gone. I mean, that's what's going to happen. I mean, I'm out of here, right? I mean, 
we have this idea that, oh, if we just had all this more money and, and, and all the things that we could do, and God's not interested in what you would do with what you don't have, but he's extremely interested in what you do with what he's given you. That's what he wants to know. He says, okay, so you don't have much. What you doing with it? Who are you blessing with your little? Who are you blessing with your lot? Who are you blessing with your in-between? He's very interested in what you are doing with what he has given you. So if that's been kind of your excuse that you've played before and said, you know, if and, and if and, and when and just, 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 just stop and, and say, Lord, you know what? I am so thankful for what it is that you have done for me. Teach me how I can use this better in your kingdom. Teach me to be a person that lives in the now and not in the if-when. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 is another passage. I know I'm jumping around different places today and uh, I don't normally do that. I normally like to just stay camped out in one spot. But I, I, I want you to listen. He, he said he wasn't going to command the Corinthians to give. He was just going to remind them of the giving of God. He uses a different word when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Oftentimes in your Bibles, it's translated as command. It gives more the idea of instruction, that there is this information coming. It's kind of like one leader passing it down to another. It's a teacher passing it along to a student. And here's what he writes to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, command or teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, a couple things to note as you look back in this passage. When it says, tell them to use their money to do good, that word that's translated good there, the emphasis is on being benevolent. It's the idea that you are going to do good to those who are poor and needy. You're going to hear about a need, and you're going to go and meet that need, much the way that we're doing with the food that, and supplies that we're going to be sending to the Tennessee Children's Home. The emphasis is on those who are less fortunate than you. When he says that individuals should be rich in good works, the, the wording that's used there, it is used to mean that there is a good that's being done that inspires. That means that, that people see the things that you do, and they are inspired to do good things as well. That's why Jesus would say, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, it's not about us getting all the glory. We'll talk about that in a few weeks and see what damage that does to a church. But when you are rich in good works, doing good deeds that inspire others to live out the very nature of the gospel, Paul says that's a good thing. And then he says, and be generous. And the word there literally means to be open-handed. I'm not holding on to the balloon. I'm not holding on to my checkbook. I'm not holding on to my debit card. I'm not holding on to my car or to my home or to my land. How were those early disciples, why were they going and selling land? Why were they selling homes? Why were they keeping them for themselves? Because they learned how to be open-handed. And they said, what I have, I'm going to use for the betterment of others so that we might experience 
It says true life. All right, so let's wrap all this up. So what does this mean for us? What does this generous life really look like? Here's what I think we can say. We need to use what God has given us to bless others. The reason that we have what we have is for the benefit of other people. The job that you have is not just to send your kids to college. The job that you have is not just to have your cars. The jobs that we go out and enjoy, it's not just so we can have a retirement. But we are being blessed by God so that we might be able to be a blessing to others. See, and that's one of the reasons why when we come together each week, we do, we do take up an offering. You know, Paul had told the um, Corinthians, hey, listen, each week when you guys get together, y'all, y'all put some money aside because I'm going to come and get it and take it to that church in Jerusalem. Because there was a need that was there. And our elders have addressed different needs that they see here in East Brainerd, in the Chattanooga area, and around the world. And our elders have said, hey, listen, when we come together, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take up money also, and we're going to use that money in order to, in order to help the poor, help the needy. We're going to use that money in order to do good works, things that, that inspire others, and we're going to be, we're going to be open-handed. And right now, as David mentioned, we're a little under, under what we need to have for our budget. Uh, we've set around $30,000 each week that we need to be able to collect. And for the year, we're half of that behind, $15,000. And we said that, hey, we're going to look at having a, a makeup time uh, at the end of the month. But, but really, if, if for this, these next few Sundays leading up to the end, end of May, if we would just look and say, you know what, um, 10 more dollars... Five more dollars, two more dollars. You side. Just increase what you normally have been giving. If you haven't been giving at all, say, you know what, I'm going to help, I'm going to help make sure that these ministries are fully funded because here's the deal. Um, that $15,000, that represents the money that we normally send to Martin Boyd every year. Okay? The money that we take up generally when we have our special contribution. All right, if we were to um, use our budget and just say, hey, if we don't have it on hand, we're not going to send it, then because of that $15,000, we would not have money to send to Martin Boyd next week to give to them. That's what that $15,000 represents. So we need to catch that up because there are other ministries that we want to make sure are, are fully funded. And, and it was mentioned about the online giving and making sure that when you're gone to make sure that you um, give ahead of time or maybe give when you come back to, to, catch, to catch that up, to be able to do that. It's a way for us to, to help as a congregation bless others. I know you do things on your own in, in, in other ways, but as a church family, our elders have said there are needs out there, and we are coming before our church family saying we, we need to be active in these needs. And there are some of you, your generosity is inspiring, and your generosity motivates others to do more. And then let's be honest. There are some who are part of our family who for whatever reason, you just choose not to be generous to the work here. Use what God has given you to bless others. And then here's the second thing. Engage in inspiring acts. You want to live a life of generosity? Then engage in inspiring acts. You hear about a friend who's in need, so you you drive three hours to make sure that She's cared for. 
you have been putting up money to make sure that uh, a new floor that you wanted to have is going to be put in, but, but you hear about a family who, who could use some help, and so you say, you know what, I can put off that new floor, and, and you give them that money. You engage in acts that inspire others. You touch others because, here's the deal, when, when others are touched, they touch individuals, and then they touch individuals. Hey, let me just get a show of hands. Let me just see something. Anybody in this room ever been shown an act of graciousness or kindness by another when you really needed it or maybe when you didn't even know you needed it and they stepped up and they came to you? It might not be with just money. It could have been a phone call. It could have been that they gave you, you know, maybe they gave you a place to live. Anybody been touched by the goodness of others? You have? And so what do you do? You went and touched somebody else, didn't you? Engage in extraordinary acts that inspire others. And then one last thing. If you look there, it's in Timothy. Just live open-handedly. Don't hold on. It's not yours. I mean, when you die, the kids are going to spend it anyway. And they're going to spend it on things that you don't like. To live open-handedly. But here's the thing. In order to do that, you have to have a trust in God that everything's going to be okay. See, because if you hold on so tight, what you're saying is, I'm afraid if I let go, then I'm not going to be okay. It's a faith issue. That's what really hurts, I guess, our generosity. Because we're afraid if we let go, then we're not going to be okay. I've told you the story before, and I want to end with this. About two well-to-do Christians, a lawyer and a merchant, who joined a party that was traveling the world. They were in Korea. And while they were there in Korea, they came upon a, a scene where a man was plowing in his field. But his children were being used to pull the plow. So the lawyer and the merchant asked the translator, the missionary who was showing them around, about the site, and he said, oh, he said, that's, that's the Now family. And he said, a, a few months back, there was a need at the church. And so they went and sold their one ox, and they went and took the money to the church in order that that need could be fulfilled. The lawyer said, well, that was an extreme sacrifice, it appears. And the missionary said, they didn't call it a sacrifice. They were just thankful they had an ox. What's your ox? 
What is it that you're thankful for that you can use to help somebody else? Is it your time? Is it your pickup truck? Is it your computer? Is it your bank account? What is it? What is your ox? What is it that, that you've been blessed with by God that you say, you know what? I can use this to make sure that others are blessed. See, I can't answer that. Only you can. But I pray that because of the time that you've spent here today, that you will look at your ox differently when you go home. And if you need to sell it, you sell it. If you need to crank it up and carry it somewhere and use it, then you do that. And if you need to, to write it out, you, you, you write out that check. Or if you need to go to the ATM and withdraw. Or if you need to go and, and light your stove. If you need to go and carry that meal. Whatever it is that's your ox. Whatever it is that you've been blessed with by God. That you can use as a blessing. Then you do that. And you live life empty handed. Because that's what life after belief truly looks like. And Jesus has promised. You give. And I will give to you. Test him and see if God doesn't keep his promises. Maybe you need to come this morning because you're just not a generous person and you just need to own it and say, you know what? I, I've been holding on and I need to let go. And I need the prayers of this church to, to, I need the prayers of this church for encouragement and also for forgiveness. Maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning because you understand the goodness of God and his generosity and you want to come to him saying, Lord, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to give myself over to you and we'll celebrate if that is your choice. Whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come as together we stand and praise our God.